The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. This morning we are blessed to hear Tim Haig come and share with us. Uh, we have two Tim Haigs, if you've been here for a while, Tim Haig Jr. and Sr. This is Tim Haig Sr., and he's coming up to, to share as we uh, prepare to hear the word today. Tim. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Good. It's always good to be at home. I have the opportunity to speak in lots of places around North America, I've traveled lots, but there is nothing like being at home. And it's always good to be in our church. And I don't know if you folks know it, but uh, we have some incredibly talented pastors. Kevin, I absolutely love that song. And I, amen. I get to sit in lots of worship services and hear lots of pastors and listen to lots of music directors. And we don't, there's not many like Kevin. And praise God that we have him. Well, it is an honor to be here this morning to speak on the topic of chronic illness and how we as a church community might interact with people journeying through long bouts of sickness. Parkinson's. Most of you will have at least some vague idea of what the disease is, and most of you will have a notion of some of its more famous marks. Michael J. Fox, Muhammad Ali, recently Linda Ronstadt, and most of you will know that I was diagnosed with the disease back in 2011, this next February, marking nine years for me. And why we with Parkinson's have a fixation with celebrating our anniversaries of our diagnosis, I haven't quite figured out yet but it seems to be fundamentally important to us. Yeah. But what is Parkinson's? Just so that we're all on the same page. What exactly is Parkinson's disease? Well, it is a chronic, progressive, neurodegenerative disease of the brain that leads to the decreased production of a chemical called dopamine. It effectively comes down to the fact that my brain doesn't work right. Now, I've been in this church for 10 years, and many of you will say we have known that for some time. More importantly, it, it boils down to the fact that our brains don't produce that chemical called dopamine. And dopamine is responsible for our muscle and motor function. So those things that we often take very much for granted, like walking, talking, um, carrying things, swallowing, it affects all of those. It causes us to twitch and shake. My meds are not too bad here this morning, so I'll mostly stand still for you. Ultimately, it can cause severe stiffness. It slows us down in all of our abilities and can cause frequent falls. Typically, it affects individuals who are older, 60 plus. However, I was diagnosed at the very young age of 46, at least in my mind. When Pastor Terry this morning asked me to present, on what it's like to live with a chronic illness and how we as a church might relate to those of us who are on this journey, this passage immediately came to mind. The passage in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 48, and if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, as well as Matthew 9, verses 20, verse 22. Scripture says in Luke, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, 
pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding, a, crowding you and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I have felt power go out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Now here I'd like to insert one sentence from Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, and it says this. Jesus turned and saw her. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now there is a lot to unpack in this passage here, and we simply don't have as much time as I would like. Terry didn't give me more. I'm kidding. But there's a lot to unpack here, and we simply don't have time to get through it all this morning. But let's take some time and hit the high notes. First of all, it's important to note that there is a leader in the church, someone like Terry, who has come to Jesus and said, I need your assistance. And in this case, he needed, wanted Jesus to come and heal his only daughter, who was 12 years old, who was dying. Jesus turns and starts to make his way to Jairus' house. But on the way, Jesus is basically being treated like a rock star. Because you look at the, the, the text there, and it says the crowd around him was crushing him. And you can kind of imagine the 12 disciples acting as his bodyguards, trying to keep everybody off of him. But along the way, a woman with a chronic illness comes up and touches Jesus' cloak, believing that if she does, she will be healed. When she touched Jesus, he did something unique that's quite easy to take for granted here, but was quite unique. He stopped. And he asked the question, who touched me? Now, the disciples were a little bit incredulous at this question because if you can imagine that scenario, it's like, Jesus, the hundred people crowding around you touched you. Like, duh. <laughs> and he says, no, someone touched me. Um, so um, I want you to get this picture really well in your mind, okay? Because something unique is going to occur here. Jesus is crammed in this crowd. Everybody's pushing against him. And he makes this bizarre statement to his disciples that somebody has touched me. Captain Obvious, if you will. That I want you to put yourselves now on a city of Winnipeg transit. Many of you ride the bus, right? You're making your way to, to University of Manitoba. It's jam-packed. Or you've been in a big city like London or Berlin, New York, and you've been on a subway, right? And you're all jammed onto this subway. And it's absolutely packed. So you're being touched, right? You're being touched. But now, now I've got to stop here for a second because I promised Terry that you guys would be mature enough to get this analogy, okay? You, you with me? You're going to handle this for me? I, I can't let you get lost in the analogy, but I, it's important that you understand what happened here. So you're jammed onto this subway, you're being touched, but out of nowhere, somebody reaches through and pinches your bum. Little different, right? Something different just occurred. <laughs> 
Now, I'm not suggesting to you that anybody pinched Jesus' bum. That is not what happened here. But something did occur. In this crush of people, in this crowd, where Jesus was clearly being touched, something different occurred, and he noted it. Imagine what this lady felt when he turned and looked at her. In that moment, Scripture says that Jesus stopped. He turned, and he saw her. Do you understand how important it is to be seen? That in that moment, in that chaos, this rock star, who they had all come to see, stopped what he was doing, which was going to the leader's house, turned and saw her. I illustrate the importance of being seen for who we really are in a blog post on my website entitled, entitled To Be Seen. It's about understanding the individual and what they need rather than what we understand about their illness or what we think they need. Trust me when I say that my experience with Parkinson's is not like your grandmother's experience with Parkinson's. It is vastly different. And thus it is important to be seen for who I am in my journey, rather than what you may think Parkinson's might be like. To see the individual, to see their individual need. Having seen her, Jesus now speaks to, speaks to her and says, daughter, daughter. Now I find this fascinating because in my world there are only four people who I would refer to as daughter. You all know my two daughters, Jordana and Eleni, two of the best-looking girls around. Yep. They take a lot after their mom. Yeah, I know how to score points. Then, of course, you know Tim Jr.'s wife, Kara, who I call my daughter-in-law. But most importantly of all my daughters is that little gift from heaven sent to us by Tim and Kara, that little granddaughter, Ella. Hey, how many grandparents are in the room? Yeah, you should be more excited. <laughs> you know, you love your first kids, but my goodness, they don't hold a candle, right? But really, folks, that's it. Those are the four daughters, my kids, my daughter-in-law, my granddaughter, there's nobody else I've ever really been tempted to call my daughter. Yet in this moment, Jesus crashed through all kinds of social norms. He broke through barriers of class system. He slashed through gender inequality. And he invited this stranger of a woman in a crowd who suffered from a chronic illness that no one could heal into the most intimate of groups, family his family, making her his child, his daughter. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, where Scripture says, you are no longer strangers, but members of the family of God. To be seen, to be invited in. This is what we try to do through our charity called U-Turn Parkinson's. 
It's a wellness center for people living with Parkinson's disease in Manitoba. And we attempt to see the people of Manitoba living with Parkinson's and create a place where they can be invited in. If you've been in the church on a Tuesday or Thursday the last several months, you will have maybe wandered by the fireside room and seen a group of seniors and me I really hoped you would get that. <laughs> but you would have seen us in the fireside room singing. And while that event is really fun, we don't meet to sing because it's fun. We meet to sing because we are working on strengthening our voices and protecting our ability to swallow. Because all of this is impacted by Parkinson's. And if we don't look after it, we will lose our ability to talk, our ability to swallow. And imagine what that could be like. But of course, when you walk by that room and you see that singing group, you'd have to look closely to see what we're really doing there. How can we help those living with chronic illness? Number one, understand the hopelessness and desperation that can exist in chronic illness. Understand the fear that made that woman tremble that day before Jesus. See inside her life. See her for who she is. See what she truly needs. And then do what Jesus did. Stop. In the midst of your crush, stop and invite her in. In whatever way God calls you to, invite her in. When you do these things, we acknowledge that we understand how important she is as an image bearer of God. And we, and we communicate our understanding of our role in meeting the needs of the least of these. Amen. Tim, thank you so much. You so capably um, took what I had given you to do, and you did it so well. Pointing our attention to chronic illness and the physical kinds of things and the challenges that image bearers on this earth that we know are facing in dealing with, with chronic, chronic illness. This morning, as we segue, we're going to talk a little bit more about Emmanuel, God with us, and <clears throat> being Jesus in a needy world is what we've really been focusing on. And um, I'm going to uh, ask you to indulge me for a moment this morning in our introduction. Uh, Pat cautioned me in not going too deep into this because she knows I'm not much of a student of art at all. But, but in the last 10 years, I've become very fascinated with medieval art. And so we're going to kind of have a medieval Christmas this morning just for the, for the start. <clears throat> and um, when I describe medieval, I'm, I'm thinking of sort of 500 A.D. to almost 1500 A.D., and, and there's a particular kind of art in that era that i kind of grown fond of, but I don't even know if it's unique to that era alone. Uh, I know that later Gothic Renaissance art, which is kind of the 12th or 14th to the 16th century, uh, seems to me, if you're art experts, you can talk to me in the foyer and correct me, uh, it seems to me that they tried to depict more lifelike human, so skin looks different and so on. And um, I, I particularly like the more medieval 
where it's almost more animated and there's a simplicity. So, so if I go through and here's an example of the angel appearing to Mary. This is from probably around 1100 A.D. and, and uh, it, the, the colors are so bright and there's, a, there's an animation to it. It's not trying to look real lifelike. And uh, here's an angel appearing to Joseph in a dream as we find in Matthew's Gospel. <clears throat> And uh, here is, a, here is a, a big, bold uh, statement uh, made by an Italian uh, by the name of Duccio. I can't even pronounce his last name. And you'll see that they often will try in that time, both the Orthodox Church and the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church, were using art to, to teach about the life of Christ, about the biblical stories. And it was because so many were illiterate at the time, and so they taught through, through their painters and through their artists. And uh, it's interesting on this one because Isaiah and Ezekiel were chosen as the two prophets flanking the nativity scene in this case. And, and by the way, the same artist is, is, uh, does this picture of Mary and Jesus, and I always get a kick out of how Jesus is, is, looks like a middle-aged balding uh, baby. <laughs> and I'm not sure why that is. It's very common. And uh, this was in Siena. We were there a few years ago, and I took this picture. And uh, this same artist is... is uh, so th they do go back and forth, apparently, between the more animated. Don't you love this one? This is Simeon dedicating Jesus in the temple and found in Matthew 2. And this dedication, all the bold colors, I love the colors. Here is the wise men giving gifts to Jesus, the blues, the reds, the golds, how, how incredibly uh, artistic that is. Again, a thousand years ago, uh, being painted. Here is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph escaping from Egypt and on their way uh, because they are warned. And here's that massacre last week we spoke of, the innocents, the boys two years old and under in that area of Bethlehem being slaughtered, how they depicted it in the Middle Ages. Here's the boy Jesus at the age of 12 who is teaching in the temple. And of course, we could go on and on. There's so many about the very healing ministry of Jesus. Some of the following paintings I'm going to show you are from Greece because in the Greek Orthodox Church, they loved using art to teach. And here's the story that Tim was referring to, this woman who was, had a bleeding illness, and she comes to Jesus. Notice that so many times the, the saint or the person has got this circle around them, this halo, identifying who's who in the story. Here's another woman in, in Luke chapter 13 who had, a, for 18 years, was crippled over and uh, similar, similar to what Tim referred to in Matthew 9.22, this Jesus looked at her. He saw her. I wonder if Jesus had to go like this to, to see her. She was bent over for 18 years. And uh, here's another one, the man born blind in John 9, Jesus touching him, his eyes. And a mosaic here from a long time ago, a mosaic, Jesus healing a leper. And then I just want to show you one more, one of my favorites, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Can you pick out who Mary and Martha are in this, in this painting? True to character, who is Mary? She's down worshiping at his feet. Who is Martha? 
She's right beside him explaining, no, Jesus, don't open that tomb. It's going to smell. Do you see the true-to-character Martha Mary? It's incredible to see. And so I want to talk this morning about stories and some of the stories that we're going to talk about. We've been looking in this whole series on Advent on the fact that we are called upon by the Lord Jesus Christ the perfect image of God, to minister to the broken image bearers which are all around us. In the first Sunday of Advent, David Pollendine, who is with International Justice Mission, shared with us how outside of reach so many people are image bearers on this earth, outside of the reach of justice because of poverty. The next Sunday, we had Elizabeth Greer with Prison Fellowship Canada, and she told us how, how outside of the reach of, of real genuine relationships so many people are because of brokenness, because of crime. In the last Sunday, we had the children's ministry. We focused on children, and we talked about the evil Herod and how very vulnerable children are today in our culture in many places. And today, as Tim has drawn our attention to chronic illness, long-term illness or disease or suffering, we want to give some time to that. How is it that Jesus is Emmanuel, God incarnate, God with us, for those that go through chronic pain, chronic illness? Well, there's a, a word that the author Luke is fond of more than any other biblical New Testament writer. And it's the word agenito, which means, and it came to pass. Many of the modern English translations will not actually translate, and it came to pass. They will instead just say, and, and uh, this happened. But it's really the same word, and it came to pass. If we were to use it every time, it would help tell the story. Matthew only uses that word once in his nativity scenes, chapters 1 and 2. But in Luke 1 and 2, 16 times he uses the term. And the end, and it came to pass, is to the world of history and nonfiction what once upon a time is to the world of fairy tale and fable. When I was younger, when our kids were younger, and I would tell them a once upon a time story, they knew that this story was being made up either by dad or by somebody else. But when we read, and it came to pass, we know that it really did come to pass. This is true truth. This is real history. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to tell you a once upon a time story, and then I'm going to follow it with some and it came to pass stories, especially according to the Gospel of Luke. So once upon a time, <clears throat> there was a little boy who was afraid of thunder and lightning. And he was sleeping in his room one evening when a terrible thunderstorm cracked outside of his bedroom window. And he got up, and he went in his pajamas to the living room, and in the living room he found his father sitting in his chair reading a book. And the book was called Emmanuel. And he said, father said to his son, son, you don't need to be afraid. I'm reading a book right now called Emmanuel. It means God with us. God is with you. Go back to bed and remember, you don't need to be worried. God is with you. The little boy went back to bed, got under his covers. Within a few minutes, another crack of thunder, a lightning. He got up. He went running to the living room again. He said, dad, I'm really scared. And again, his father said, you don't need to be afraid. God is with you. 
go back to bed. And remember, God is with you. Went back to bed. Again, a crack of thunder and lightning awakened him, aroused him. He went running to the living room. He says, Dad, I'm really scared. And his dad, again, tried to convince him that God is with him. And he finally, the boy said, yeah, Dad, I know God is with me. But right now, I need someone with skin on. Jesus Christ is God with skin on. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates that in his message. He calls it, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Well, let me now move to tell you a few stories from the Gospel of Luke and and Matthew as well that are not once upon a time stories, but it came to pass kind of stories. I'm going to tell you just four areas that this comes out. Jesus being God with skin on. And the first one comes actually in the description of Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And Luke, as he begins his gospel account in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. He says, and it came to pass in the days of Herod. Now, that's all that Luke had to say for any first century reader. That's all that Luke had to say as he began that to say to them, this is a dark time. It would be like us today saying any believer who is living in the countries of the Middle East or in Iran or Iraq or Syria, as in the days of ISIS, as in the days of the Taliban, that's what a first century listener would read when he read the Luke account of Jesus' birth, as in the days of Herod. It was a dark time. It was not an easy time especially if you were a follower of this King Jesus that was born in his kingdom. It was not only a dark time, but it was a difficult time. In verse 7, again, again, until this word is used, and it says that it came to pass that, well, Zechariah and Elizabeth were well advanced in years and had no children. This was not only a dark time, but for this older couple who had served the Lord faithfully their entire lives, Zechariah being a priest. This was a difficult time, a difficult season. It almost seems as though Luke is trying to accentuate the, the 400 years of intertestamental period of dryness and silence between Malachi and Matthew when there was no prophetic written utterance of God's Word. And in similar fashion for this Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was a dry time. It was a long time. It was a difficult time. Some of you know what long, difficult times might feel like today. For some of you, maybe looking back on 2019, will not be looked upon fondly in years to come because of physical infirmity or suffering or pain that some loved one is going through. It was a difficult time, but it was also a destined time by God, a determined time. It says in the Scriptures that when Zechariah was in Jerusalem, he was chosen as a priest by, by, by lot to enter the holy place. Now, this happened once in a priest's lifetime. 
The Mishnah dictated that it could only happen once in a priest's lifetime. Zechariah, already old, had never had this opportunity to now go into the very holy of holies and to burn that incense. And while he is in there, his time came, God's appointed time, when he was going to meet up with God. And the angel Gabriel met up with Zechariah while he was in there. And he told him, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him John, and he is going to announce the coming of the Messiah. This was a time determined for Zechariah. And then there was that God moment time. And in this passage, I'll reference the Matthew once when he uses this term, when he says in chapter 1, verse 22, and all this was done, all this came to pass that it might be fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bring forth a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Scriptures tell us, in other words, that the birth of Jesus is a series of miraculous events coming to pass, all divine appointments culminating in that incredible birth. It came to pass. Luke 2.1, it came to pass that in those days, well, Quirinius was governor of Syria, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman. It just happened, just happened. It just came to pass. And it came to pass that while Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem, it just happened that that was when her baby was born. It just, all these things that were providential appointments came to pass so that all the Scriptures could be fulfilled and all divine appointments kept. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, caused it to come to pass. And now as you span the, the things of your life, and as you look at your own things that come to pass or came to pass in 2019, how is it that you can believe in God is, as Emmanuel, Jesus, God Emmanuel, that God is with you? Well, the answer is it's through largely not just that individual relationship with God you have, but it's largely through his church. Jesus is God with skin on, yes, but so is his body. <laughs> his body, the church, is God with skin on. Jesus has a body on earth still. Jesus is still incarnate on earth as well as in heaven. You've heard it said, you may be the only Jesus that some will ever meet, or you may be the only Bible that some will ever read. It sounds quaint, but it's so very individualistic. For we cannot in and of ourselves be much to many people. We feel so inadequate to be consistently offering the grace of Christ to those around us. But together, the body of Christ is incredibly able as we minister to broken image bearers around us and among us, because we are made in His image. We are bought with His blood. We are transformed by His Spirit. And though we do everything we do with such imperfection, the love, the grace, the peace, the joy, the kindness, patience, and forgiveness, the forbearance, all perfectly or imperfectly worn, and yet so very profound in their impact when they're offered in faith, do you understand it when I say these words? You might be feeling weaker day by day 
and yet be becoming stronger. Do they make sense to you? You might be becoming weaker or feeling weaker day by day and yet be becoming stronger. It's the mystery, isn't it? It's the mystery of living in, by faith in the faithfulness of the Son of God. It's the mystery of Paul when he said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And you ordinary people who walk through your ordinary lives offering God as much of your ordinary life as you can are waiting for the extraordinary to happen. It does happen through the body of Christ. I think it's marvelous to think about the difference between Mary and Martha. I don't know if you've ever given it much thought, but how God in that one, in that one display of sisterhood, the little bit that we have of the two, are displayed to us a panorama of humanity, of personality. For as we live our ordinary lives and as we face the sufferings that come in this human body, we see on the one extreme a Martha who is so stoic that the church doesn't even know that the Marthas are sick until the sickness is gone. Have you ever had that happen? We love the Marthas. They, they are the ones who see what practically needs to be done. The Marthas are so important. And then the other extreme is the Marys, the ones who are so very emotionally in touch with you and with themselves. Oh, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We need the Marthas and the Marys. Who would you rather have visit you in the hospital? So there's ordinary people that live ordinary lives, and yet we're so very different, aren't we? We are God with skin on. Let me read to you a little bit of an adapted, half of it his and half of it mine, a guy by the name of Lewis Smeads called Preaching to Ordinary People. Let this land on you as God wants it to land on you. God with ordinary people. Ordinary people, for often, often many ordinary people, the goal is just survival. That's the biggest success story they might have in a given day. For ordinary people who feel tired a lot, they, they often come to church and they listen to words about grace, but they have a hard time living those words. They are so very muzzled by self-pity, shackled by anger, paralyzed by their own hurt feelings. They can't find the extra reserve or power to open their hearts up to the reality of that Jesus and that grace. But then God comes to ordinary people. He opens the door of their hearts he opens the doors for ordinary people. He comes to them, telling them that He is Emmanuel with them, surrounding them like a shield, protecting them. They may find themselves in the grip of anger that chokes their hearts, stifles their joy, smothers their intimacy. But then God comes, Emmanuel, to break the chains of anger and to give, them, give love a new chance. Ordinary people get sick emotionally, physically, mentally, they sometimes live in the quiet terror of their own mortality. They spend a lot of times on themselves, ordinary people do, just making a go of it. 
And in the middle of the monotony of day in and day out ordinary living, God comes, He does, Emmanuel, God with us. He gives them a reason for being glad, even in sickness, a reason to say, thank you. Thank you for life, even if it's just for today. Sometimes ordinary people brood over a depressing memory of some rotten thing that they did and it's hard to forget and forgive themselves. And sometimes ordinary people obsess over the rotten things that others have done to them because ordinary people get hurt and then hurt people often hurt others. But then God comes, Emmanuel, God with us, to open the heart's door of ordinary people to receive the gifts of forgiveness of themselves and of others. Sometimes ordinary people find life so very complicated that they wrap themselves up like mummies in a suffocating sackcloth, often of their own making. But then God comes, Emmanuel, and He unravels them, and He opens their eyes to the extraordinary wonder of their own great worth to tell them they are His image bearers, that He's not finished with them yet not by a long shot. If you're feeling very ordinary this morning, and if you look back on 2019, or if you have the feeling that 2020 is not going to be much different, I want you to enter by faith as we conclude our service into the faithfulness of the Son of God, who is Emmanuel, God with you. And I would ask you this, 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 this morning to join me in a responsive reading as a benediction to our service today. If you're able to stand with me, I would invite you to stand right now. And uh, we will read the responsive reading together, and then let me pray for you in whatever it is that you've brought together today to this service. So I'll be the leader, and you be the people. How is God with us? And how is God incarnate today? So when someone is suffering, when someone has no voice, when someone needs to cry, When someone needs a meal, go then into God's world and show His love. See the ones that Jesus will show you. Remember that Jesus goes with you. Let's pray. And Father, now as we depart from this place to return in just a couple of days to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us again, would you by your Holy Spirit so revive and enliven us so that we would go from this place ready to be your hands and feet, your heart, your arms, your love, 
Lord, may we see those around us that need being seen. And would you help us, O Lord, to reach out in love for the sake of Jesus Christ, for we are his body and each one a member of it. We do ask this in Jesus' name, for your glory, Jesus, and for our good, we pray. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you.